It's time once again for another look into God's infallible book, and we want to welcome you to another broadcast for the Riches of Grace. My name is Richard Jordan. It's my privilege to be your Bible teacher each week right here as we study together, looking into the Word of God to allow the Spirit of God to teach us through His Word. And by the way, friend, that is how God teaches you. God has written us a book. He put His life in the words of those books. That's what inspiration means. God takes His Word, His Spirit, rather, and inspires, inspiration. He takes His Spirit and life and puts them in some words, causes those words to be written down in a book. It's what Scripture is, scripted. It's inscripted. It's written down. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Then those words are put into uh, written form, and then they are preserved through time. Isaiah 30, verse 8, as a verse I love, he says, that go, write them in a book, note them in a tablet, <laughs> write them down. Why? That they may be preserved for this generation forever. God has a methodology of preserving His Word. That's why He wrote it down. That's why there's a multiplicity of copies. You know, if you have, you hear people say, well, what you need is the originals. Well, the originals are long gone. Did you know there's never been one book of only the originals? That's because the originals never were the only issue with God. Rather, He designed His Word to be preserved through a multiplicity of copies. If there are a million copies of God's Word scattered abroad on the earth, how would you corrupt them? Well, you couldn't. You couldn't get to all of them. You'd get to some of them, but you couldn't get to all of them. But if there was only one original that was the only Word of God, all you had to do is find that one, and you could corrupt it. Now, you, you know good and well that if there was one original— some religious nut would have it under glass somewhere, charging 15 bucks a look. Uh, you know that, don't you? Sure you do. They're called relics. You got people, you know, you got people all over the world today thinking they got a piece of the cross or, you know, Peter's molar or something, and they're charging people to, to go look at it, and they venerate it, and they go over and, you know, go ap apoplexic when they see it and pa pass. It's just a bunch of foolishness, superstitious nonsense. You know that. I know that. Everybody knows it, except the folks that are, that, are, that are using it to make money. It's called religion. It's called religious tomfoolery. Down south, we used to call it hoodly-doo. <laughs> now, somebody said, asked me, said, how do you spell that, Brother Rick? And I said, I don't know how you spell it. And so she made a badge, no hoodly-doo here, and she figured out how to phonetically spell it and looked pretty good. When you come to God's Word, all the hoodly-doo is gone. And you have truth written out, and you have God's, you have a book with God's life in it, in the words. And then that word works effectually in you that believe. A favorite verse of mine, and I have a many. Somebody asked me sometime, Brother Rick, what's your favorite verse? Usually it's the one I'm teaching at the moment. But a favorite verse of mine is in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 3, when he says, For, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, I read that, and I... <laughs> You're dead, and your life is hid with Christ. You're dead, and your life. Don't, don't I mean? Don't you just love that? <laughs> I mean, I, I I read that and say, gee, man, I I'm dead, but I'm alive. Well, which is it? Both. Galatians two twenty. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You see, when he says you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. What he's talking about is the, the truth of our identification 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. You always want to remember that there are two prepositions. A preposition is designed to show relationship between nouns. And one set of descriptions says that Christ died for our sins. When Jesus Christ died for our sins, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law, Galatians 3.10, for as many as are under the, cur under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the law to do them. You see, the curse of the law is that you can't keep it. You ever hear anybody say, we need to post the Ten Commandments on the schoolhouse door on the courthouse wall? One of the silliest things I've ever heard in my life is for some Christian preacher to say we need to post the, the Ten Commandments. Listen, if you want to ground posting the Ten Commandments, you need to convert to Judaism because that's what it is. Don't be some, some Christian preacher, some Christian pundit, some Christian promoter, promoting the Ten Commandments and think you're promoting Christianity. What you're promoting is Judaism. So if you want to promote Judaism, put the Ten Commandments up. But the problem is nobody keeps the Ten Commandments. You see, the, the law is weak through your flesh because you can't keep it. And the curse of the law is that cursed is everyone that keepeth not, that, do, that doesn't do all things. And you don't do all things. Take any of the ten. You know the 613 commandments in the law someone counted? You usually know here about the first ten. You probably can't name them, and if you could, it'd be hard to get them in order, wouldn't it? And if you could name them in order, you couldn't pick out two of them that you actually do perfectly. James chapter 2 says, a man keep the whole law, be guilty in one point, you know, break it in one point, guilty of it all. So you go around, stick your butt, you know, stick out your chest, bust your buttons about keeping, you know, six or seven of the Ten Commandments, and the 611 other ones that you didn't even know about that you break, you know, probably about half of them in a, in a lifetime. All you got to do is break one, you're guilty of all of it. How many times do you have to steal something before you're a thief? Yeah, you got that. How many times do you have to kill somebody, murder somebody before you're a murderer? Yeah, how many times do you have to, well, you, you get the point. That's why the Bible says, Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He paid our debt to the law. How? Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. You see, Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died as a substitute for me. He died instead of me dying. His death, he didn't deserve that. He took that in my place. God made him to be sin for me. And Jesus Christ died for my sins. I'll write down Romans 8, chapter 5, verse 8 in your mind, will you? But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You weren't trying to fix things. You weren't trying to make it any better. You weren't trying to get right. You weren't repenting and promising. No, you were just a sinner going on in your willful, rebellious way. And Christ died for you. He paid your sin debt. So it's important that you understand the good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He took our sin debt. He took our penalty. He died as our substitute. God's wrath was poured out upon him instead of upon me. When Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He suffered in his soul 
the experience that the Bible calls the second death. And he did that for you so that you don't have to suffer that. Christ died for us, for our sins. But that's not what Colossians is talking about. Because he didn't just die for me, but we died, I died with him. He didn't just die for me, I died with him. I'm crucified with Christ. Colossians 2.20 says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ. Now, that's not substitution. That's identification. When he died, I died. That was me that was being on the cross dying. Not just him dying in my place, but literally me dying with him. Now, one is substitution. The other is identification. When you're identified with somebody, then that means that what they did, you did. Romans chapter 6. How in the world can it be that you could be identified with him in his death? Well, Romans chapter 6, verse number 3. Know ye not. Now, when I start that verse, I think Romans 6, 3. Know ye not. Paul's expecting you to know this. That's sort of like, don't you know this? <laughs> How'd you get this? How did you get this far along and didn't know this? Well, there's a lot of folks don't know this. Know you not that so many of us, by the way, your Christian life will not operate on the basis of ignorance. It won't operate on the basis of, I didn't know that. You're supposed to know some things. Why? God has revealed them to us in his word. Know you not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, you look at that verse very carefully, because when people see that word baptized, they go, water, instinctively. Because religion, when it sees the word baptized, it goes, water, instinctively. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist says, I indeed baptize you with water. But there's one that cometh after me who's mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to, to, to unlatch. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, there are three different kinds of baptisms in one verse. One is water, one is the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Ghost, and one is with fire. Now, I don't know about you, but being baptized with fire doesn't sound like a real good experience. Being baptized with the Holy Ghost sounds much more preferable, and being baptized with water is what John the Baptist was doing. So which one of it, which one of those baptisms is it in this verse? Well, it turns out not to be any of them. And you say, but wait a minute. How many baptisms are there in the Bible? There are at least a dozen different ones identified in Scripture. Did you know that? I know. I, pe people think of the word baptism. The first thing, think, you know, is their religious ceremony, the water ceremony that their religion taught them. That's why Paul said, didn't you know there's more than that in the Bible? You see, there's a lot more to the Bible than what a church might tell you because the church is trying to get you to do what they want you to do. Well, what baptism is this? Well, look at the verse. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. Now, how can you get to be baptized into Jesus Christ? I mean, listen, dude, he's not even here. 
You're not talking about some natural process that a preacher or a priest is going to do for you. This is something that puts you into somebody that isn't even on the planet. I mean, a six-year-old kid that flunked kindergarten would understand this is not natural baptism. This is a supernatural baptism. Beside that, he says, by the way, you see what he tells you what you're baptized in? Preacher said to me one time, he says, listen, Jordan, any time a verse doesn't tell you what you're baptized in, just assume it's water. Okay, this verse tells you what I'm baptized in. I'm baptized into Jesus Christ. That ain't normal. There's nothing normal about that. That's super normal. And beside that, he says, when you're baptized into Jesus Christ, you're baptized into his death. In other words, when he died, you died. That's what it means to be buried with him. Therefore, we are buried with him, verse 4, by baptism into death. When he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When he died, I died. When he was buried, I buried. I was buried. When he was resurrected, I was resurrected. When he ascended up and sat at the Father's right hand, Ephesians 2 says, we're seated together with him in heavenly places. I mean, this is, this is identification. This is his death. His identity becomes my identity, and everything that belongs to him belongs to me. Now, you understand why that's important. This gives me an identity in Jesus Christ. That's why chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, you don't always see that in your life, but it's the truth. It's the reality of who you really are. When he says, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. By the way, how did you get into Christ? How did you get baptized into Jesus Christ? Write down by Romans 6, 3, if you never have, write 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. You got that? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And Colossians 2, verse 12. And you read those verses and you'll find the answer. Scripture with Scripture, how do you get baptized into Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit, that's God the Holy Spirit, are we all, every believer, baptized into one body and have been all made to drink of one Spirit. You know how you get into Christ? You get baptized into the body of Christ. How do you get baptized into the body of Christ? By one spirit are we all baptized into, into, into the body of Christ. The word baptism in the Bible, it doesn't mean, you know, denominationalists will tell you it means immerse. Well, that's because there's a certain uh, section of, of Christendom that like to use the word as their name. But the word baptism in the Bible isn't talking about being immersed. Some folks that are baptized are poured. You have, for example, when you're baptized with the Spirit, uh, Jesus baptizes them with the Spirit. Matthew 3.11 is talking about Acts chapter 2. He said, I will pour out of my Spirit upon them. So when, when Jesus baptized them with the Spirit, he, he didn't immerse them. He poured. So now the you know Presbyterians run around and say, Ooh, we knew it, we knew it, we knew it. In <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 36, he says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you. So their baptism is sprinkling. And then the Methodists run around, I, I, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I knew we were. 
So you, you see, you can find something in the Scripture to match your denominational preference, but the word that will, will give you a scriptural meaning of the word baptism that will fit every passage is the word identification. Every time you say that word baptism, it has the sense and the idea of being identified. As many of us as were baptized into one body, the Holy Spirit identified us into the body of Christ, puts you into Christ. The mechanics of positional truth, the mechanics of being in Christ is that spirit baptism takes you out of Adam and puts you into, into Jesus Christ, changes your identity from being in Adam to being in Christ, changes your identity from being an enemy to being a saint of the Most High God, changes your identity from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. That's what by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. And that's why Paul says we're buried with him in baptism, wherein also we are risen with him through faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. It's not something you did. It's something God the Holy Ghost did. So when he says we are dead with him, for you're dead and your life is hit. You see, you died with him. This is the reality of who you are. Now, in Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about this, this reality, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that also the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus, like that the life also of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You might not always see that, but it's always what's true. It's always there. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. So he says, for you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, by the way, to be hid with Christ in God is absolute security. If you're hid with Christ in God, for, God for, for, for the devil to get to you, he'd have to go through God. Then he'd have to go through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he went through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, then he's in them. You know what? You do that, you'd be saved. <laughs> he wouldn't want to get you out. He's talking about you have absolute, complete security that you can rest in. Then verse 4, he says, when Christ who is our life, don't, I love that. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. You see, that's the real issue. When Christ, who is our life. This is the record, friend, that God has given us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God has not life. Now, that's the bottom line. You have the Son, you have life. You don't have Christ, you don't. Have, he didn't say anything about keeping commandments. He didn't say anything about you having membership in a certain church. He didn't say anything about ceremonial correctness that you perform, you know, on a regular basis. He said, God looks for one thing. Where are you? You're in Adam, in Adam all die. You're in Christ, everybody in Christ should be made alive. This is the record. This is what God's Word says. You have, he put the life in his Son. 
He that hath the, hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's why the Christian life isn't a matter of trying to get something from God. It's simply a matter of having the life that God gives you. Listen, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, eternal life, John chapter 17, John 17, verse number 3. Eternal life is not simply living forever. You're going to live forever somewhere. Eternal life is something different. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, This is life eternal, that they may know thee, talking about God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You see, that's what eternal life is really all about. It's not simply about living forever, but it's to know the only true living God. Not a bunch of false gods of religion that are just deader than doornails. And how do you know the true and living God? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm the way because I'm the truth, I'm the truth because I'm the life. And God has given the record that he put life in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. When you have the Son, when you have Jesus Christ as your life, because you've trusted him exclusively, just believed in Jesus, nothing else, God then gives you his life. And your Christian life from that point on, Paul said, you're dead and your life is hid with I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet now I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul describing what the Christian life is, he said, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. Notice, your life being filled with the fruits of righteousness. How do you get righteous? God made him to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He died as my substitute to take away all my sin debt, so that God could then identify me in him and impute to me everything that belonged to him. That's a divine transaction. That's the reason I emphasize that. It's got nothing to do with what anybody does. It has to do with what God has done for you in his Son. And that's why he says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. We're his body. And when he makes his next appearance, we're going to be with him. That's our hope. Can I offer you a free Bible study to just to kind of go on with this, Our Hidden Life Revealed. Isn't that a wonderful topic? Our Hidden Life Revealed. You're dead, your life is hid with Christ in God, but when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we appear with them in glory. I'd like to give you that Bible study for you to go on with, Our Hidden Life Revealed. You call me here, 888-535-2300. 888-535-2300, and I'll see that you get a free copy. The folks that answer the phone, they'll, they'll know, know how to get it to you, and we'd like to send it to you with our compliments. 888-535-2300, and you ask for the, for the Bible study, Our Hidden Life Revealed. That number again is 888-535-2300.
You know, my friend, let me just say to you, if you have questions about your salvation, about whether your sins are forgiven, about whether you have a home in heaven when you die, if you don't know that for sure, you know, we have folks that are willing to talk to you right now, trained out of God's Word to help you open the book and find the answers for yourself. If, if no one has ever sat down with you over an open Bible and shared with you what the Bible has to say about how to know you have your sins forgiven and how to have eternal life as a present possession, know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die, and that between now and the time you die, that the life of Jesus Christ found in his word can reside in you and live out through you. If you, if you don't know that, no one's ever shared that with you out of a Bible. I'm talking about a religion. I'm talking about religious. I don't, have, I don't have a philosophy to teach you, a religion for you to join. I just want you to see what God has provided for you in his son. If you don't know about that, and you'd like to know, 888-535-2300 is a number you need to call because there are people waiting at that number who can help you out of God's Word. Now, all we can do is preach the Word. All we can do is tell you what God says. You can believe it. You cannot believe it. But you shouldn't go about not knowing what God's Word says. You might know all kinds of things about what religion say. That's not the issue. It's not the question. What does God say? If you'd like to know that, if you have a desire to know that, 888-535-2300 is the number to call. Can I also tell you that there are folks in your area right here where you are, where this radio program is going over the air, that meet in this vicinity. These are folks that put this program on the, on the radio here. They pay for the airtime. They make it possible for me to be here week after week and teach God's Word rightly divided, the message of grace over this, over this airway. They're folk, they, they, they meet this weekend right there in your neighborhood. I'd like to put you in touch with them if you'd like to be in touch with them. You can call us here. We'll be glad to share your, with, with you their information. We're not, they're not, we're not gonna, we'll, we'll tell you about them, and then you can be in touch with them if you choose to be. And you need to know about them. You call us here, 888-535-2300. Ask the folks that answer the phone. Whether, you know, about the people in your area, we'd be happy to see that you are put in touch with them. And if you, if you really wanted to be a real student, an in-depth student of God's Word, you're interested in studying God's Word at a, at a, at a, at a, uh, a level of real understanding, again, I would recommend to you Grace School of the Bible. I say to you, Grace School of the Bible is unique in several ways. One, it's unique in that it's a, it, it's, it's a school of distant learning. We will send the school to you. So through your program, but we will send it to you on, on, on DVD. Make it available. You don't have to come to Chicago. You don't have to come to Illinois. You don't have to move, quit your job, move your part, uh, family across the country. You can study right where you are. We'll make it available to you. Second thing to remember is that the curriculum base of the school is different from any other Bible Institute program that you've ever seen. It's not based on the systematic theology that the normal Bible college, Bible Institute program is based on. Rather than following systematic theology, which is just another uh, man-made way of explaining what, what, what man thinks he understands about God, there is in Paul's epistles a specific, he calls it a form of sound words. There's a specifically designed way to assimilate the information that God gives us. There, you know, in, in, in school terms, you'd call it a curriculum. But the curriculum is designed in a certain way. There's certain things to learn first, certain things to learn second, 
certain things to learn third. And as you learn them the way God designed them for you to learn, then they have the effect. They work effectually in you that believe. They have the effect in your life God designed them to have when you believe them. One of the great problems with Christian people is they begin to study God's Word, and they're, they're getting information from like a smorgasbord all over instead of getting it in the design that God intended it to be. Our curriculum in the school is designed, Grace School of Bible is designed to follow that pattern that Paul gives and, and commands us to follow in order for the believer to be stabilized and edified and strengthened. So if you'd like to have that information, you call us, 888-535-2300. We'll be glad to see that you get it. Our, our website is graceimpact.org, graceimpact.org. Anything that we can help you with that way, we're happy to do that. 888-535-2300 is the number to call. Graceimpact.org is the website to look at. Thanks for being with us today. Until next time, Maranatha.